Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Whitney never seemed to exist in the present. Across their first two albums of original material, 2016's dreamy debut Light Upon the Lake and its underrated 2019 follow-up Forever Turned Around, the Chicago via Portland duo borrowed the sound and vision of mid-70s soft rock all soulful melodies and irresistible melancholy. Even their covers album, Candid, released in that muggy pandemic summer of 2020, filtered a chronologically and aesthetically diverse collection of songs, natural fits like John Denver and the Roaches, to more complex tracks from Kalela and SWV, through that same beautifully blurry lens. Their third album, Spark, may not shoot Whitney into the present, but it certainly takes them to another era. Here they've sharpened their edges, built their work in glass and neon as much as sunlight and sandstone. Lead singer and drummer Julian Ehrlich's falsetto has softened, at times it's even completely absent. And guitarist Max Kakasek uses his guitar more sparingly, more as a flourish than a foundation. Instead, there are loops and processed beats, nods to the R&B and radio pop of the early aughts. It still sounds like Whitney, a little wistful and romantic even at its boldest. But on Spark, they sound like they're clearing new paths for their own future. A few weeks ago, I caught up with Ehrlich and Kakasek to talk about writing through grief and falling back in love with Usher and Gwen Stefani. Congratulations on Spark. Going back to the beginning of it, why did you guys go back to Portland? When when was it? It was like May 2020? I moved to Portland basically at like the very beginning of 2020. So like before the pandemic or anything? Yeah, I moved there, signed the lease like January 1st. And then we did like one tour with Chai, like sort of like a B market tour. And then that was when like everything was kind of starting to bubble up and like our Asia tour and European tours got postponed. And yeah, we were like finishing the covered album and then immediately moved on, like started Nothing Remains. We talked for an interview in, I guess it was in summer 2020 about making Candid and like how difficult it was for you guys to inhabit, particularly Julian, like inhabiting the voice of like David Byrne, for example, how much of a challenge that was. How much did making that record influence how you wrote Spark and wrote Nothing Remains as you went into it? I think you can kind of hear, I do feel like maybe vocally, they're like maybe the most similar or like that was like kind of like a transition into like me trying to utilize the low end of my falsetto and try to like pull as much like warmth out of it as possible. Cause if you go back and listen to like light upon the lake and some songs on forever turned around, it's like way deeper in my throat, quite a bit more like Kermit the frog or something while making spark. It just like felt really good and like a lot more like comforting or something to like, just like sit into like a warmer zone in my, 
my voice. There were parts where just there isn't falsetto. It was it was one of the first things that hit me about the record, and I was like, oh, this is quite a big risk. Were there nerves about that as well as it feeling comforting? The thing that feels the most risky is like maybe actually performing the new songs live because it's way harder to like drum or really do like anything else while like focusing. It's like a really, where I'm singing on most of Spark is like the most like delicate. I really had to like work, like just to do Kimmel, I like really had to like work on my breath and like breathing at the right times. It was like so much more like meticulous than any of our like sort of like ramshackle, you know, songs off like Light Upon the Lake where I can just kind of like soar. But yeah, as far as like recording it, it didn't feel... I mean, a lot of the record does feel risky to us, but I think it feels risky for different reasons. Just to go back to that Candid, I mean, Max, I know how uh, torturous is the right word, but I know that it was like the, the, the tracking process and the mastering process, just like plotting those songs out was quite a complex process on Candid. That like it took, it took a lot of work and to try and fit those songs into like the Whitney universe. Did the arrangement process for Candid sort of have an impact on effectively you guys blowing up the sound both literally and figuratively on spark well i feel like in candid that album to me represents the most organic capture of the live band in a lot of ways um you know we'd pick a song in the morning for that that album and uh essentially the live band everyone would take an instrument and the whole start of the cover would happen completely live and then we'd add in arrangement parts to kind of like bring out certain melodies people were playing and then moving on to spark partly as a function of us being a little isolated in portland um, away from a lot of like the live band and stuff but i think it became much more of a meticulous like purposefully studio project where like capturing a live performance wasn't necessarily the focus it was more of like creating a world just the two of us with our own kind of ability to play many instruments doing that Kalela cover with Tucker Martin which we did like after recording like the bulk of the live band stuff so that was like just Max and I literally like took one day in the studio mixed mastered basically like finished it all in one day that process like absolutely informed the sort of like beginning like we started Spark like two weeks later and it was like oh shit we can like we can probably make a really crazy record together yeah, well, obviously we spoke around Forever Turned Around as well. Hearing you talk about that process now, you seem almost like a little rueful about the fact that you were using the same tools and the same process and the same, even just like literally the same instruments to make a record because you knew you could. Not that you regret it, but that it just, you felt really frustrated to the point that like Spark, which is like, yeah, Spark had to happen. Exactly. I think the bio is really well written, but I do think it's funny the way that FTA is kind of like touched on because we do, I mean, that was like an extremely difficult period for us. And, you know, that was for a number of different reasons, I think. But that record, you know, obviously is like always going to have a really special place in our hearts. And I think has already lived a pretty good life. And like, I think it'll only continue to get better. But it really, truly did feel like so freeing and like refreshing to just be like, all right, we have to make a record, you know, just basically no rules. We knew that like the songs and the type of songs that we wanted to write were only going to come if we like completely shedded the rules of the past. You were saying before this album did feel risky for you, but not because of your voice. So what what do you think were the risks you were taking and when did you realize that it was risky? 
I feel like risk is like a little bit of a negative word. Kind of, I, I relate it to as kind of like a, a fear of what could happen if we decide to like free ourselves within the creative process. And I think our heads were more of just like pure excitement. You know, there were certain constraints that we had put on the process before that was based on like analog recording and capturing live performances. And I think while that's really important to us, we were kind of like, how do we alter that idea and make it something that to us kind of like feels like newer and inspires us to keep working on it in a way that like, you know, like after playing on the road for the past five years and making two albums and a cover album kind of in a similar way, I think we just need to be able to switch up to like make us excited about working again. While we were sending demos to peers and people that we trust, all of them were like, this is so different, but so exciting to hear you guys kind of like shed some sort of like constraints off and like just let yourself do whatever you're like instinctually feeling i think where the risk lies is like kind of since we were using the same tools and the for the last like two three records it was just inevitable like there's going to be a certain amount of like guitar riffing going on there's going to be a certain amount of like horn section coming in because like those are the only tools that we have and i think just like allowing the songs to get like exactly what they needed whether that be like an electronic trumpet or like more of a synth solo or like a shorter guitar solo that have, or like a song like Self that's like, yo, this song is just going to completely explore like the wildest song structure that we've ever really like used. And it wasn't, it wasn't for any other reason other than like, this is the best that this song can possibly be. I think there's risk in that because people do come to our records or click on our records to hear a specific thing. I think with this record, they're going to get more, like a lot more than that. But I think it can be scary to like not hear the specific elements that you expect when you buy a Whitney record. Yeah, I mean, you were saying that it's something that felt new. By that, do you also mean something that felt more contemporary? Or do you mean literally new as in it, it, it's new for you guys? Or is it more like sort of pulling it into 2022? It, it seems like a, an album that faces the future a little bit more, certainly in production quality. Definitely. Um, I think that like, you know, a lot of the things that like we started to push ourselves as songwriters and creators of music is that a lot of the, the first two albums was kind of like, backwards facing art in a lot of ways um the reference points you know especially early on when we were really young and maybe the most immature when it came to in a good way like i guess you know everything was a novelty you know it's like we made a song that sounded like the band or we made a song that sounded like jim ford and it was like this exciting thing like being able to like recreate something that had happened before and i think that there was an element of us that wanted to create something that really felt like it had come only from our brains with some touch points of references, maybe to that far back in the sixties and seventies, but like repurposing those sounds to feel more like they were sampled while performed by us. They were like used in a different way that was more produced in like a modern sense. What was the appeal of making things feel more sampled and like in, in effect, like in the, in the best sense of this word, kind of synthetic? I think it just aligns with our current tastes in a way that like, you know, I think something shifted like throughout probably touring forever turned around where it was like, yo, like I'm just not really diving into like Light in the Attic or like Numero Group stuff, like Lost Forgotten Classics anymore. And I just don't, I don't know why, but like I'd just rather listen to stuff that just feels more current to me or something. 
And I think we both were kind of like exploring different offshoots of that because I think we had just gotten tired of like the old, dusty old folk song. What were the offshoots? I mean, I think for me, like early 2000s, just like straight up radio pop. Like I just started like listening to Usher again, like Confessions Part 2 and and like Outkast and Gwen Stefani. Because I don't know, I think it's just like interesting now, like just being alive, like turning 30 and like being alive for long enough to like have that sort of stuff that like still feels so current and um, special to me, like slip all the way into like, wow, like that song came out like 22 years ago or whatever, which is just like gnarly to think about. I do think that like making a record that's like mostly inspired by a period of music that we actually lived through was like really interesting to us. Max, was there a different offshoot of that for you or were were you also on the Usher train? I'm always on the Usher train. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think, you know, like a lot of like the kind of going back to like the, what classically for instrumentation has been like, we've, you know, kind of used and whatnot. If you can be as simple as like, thinking about the guitar or something, you know, I think some of the most inventive uses of guitar right now aren't really like the best players. Earl Sweatshirt uses guitar in a way that I think is like usually sampled. And like, to me, that's the most like progressive idea of what a guitar can sound like on a recording. It's touched by a human at some point and performed, but then it's also like completely flipped on its head and then repurposed in a different way. And I think to me, like, just as a, sim- a smaller example of like a larger thing that we were kind of curious about is like, how do we use these organic sounds to make something that's like a little more inventive on the back end, maybe in a production sense, or like it more using the tools of like computers and samplers that are more modern because I do think those specific sounds and textures are being modified in a way currently that I think is like a little more interesting than just people playing in a room with a mic at this moment in time. Both, I think, are important, but I think creatively and thinking about years from now, kind of like where there'll be more room to create things that are more unique is kind of what's happening right now in like hip hop and like like some like some even some house stuff uses it too. Like I think that kind of stuff is really cool. Do you think you would have been able to sort of make those decisions on this album without being in Portland, without a pandemic effectively, without being sort of forced into a room together, sort of away from a live band and then being able to say, babe, like this is how we can make an album. Now. Like we, it's just the two of us. I have no idea. It is like a what if that pops up in my head sometimes too, where it's like, it definitely wouldn't have happened as fast. You know, because we were supposed to be like back and forth to Europe for like festivals for the next like year and a half. Yeah, I don't really think so. We truly needed like the time and the space. We needed the whole like year and a half to just explore every every possible like perspective. If you think of the songs as different perspectives on this record. And obviously the aesthetic of this record, like the, the visual vocabulary of this record is really important to you. Why have so much focus on that? Did it? Does it mean, because I mean, it, when you put, Light Upon the Lake and Forever Turned Around up next to Spark, you you can pretty quickly tell like one of these albums is not like the others. W- why was that so important to you to have a different sort of visual language for this? Apparently we're like notoriously tweaky through the mixing process and like towards the end of making a record where like we really get like deep into our heads no matter how hard we try not to. And that always extends into figuring out like album covers and videos and stuff like that too. I think we just get so deep into our heads because 
you know, each record truly feels so important to us. So that pro like even I have like PTSD with this question, kind of <laughs> honestly, because <laughs> you're just being thrown back into like making countless edits to things. Yeah, it's just such a difficult process for us to figure out album covers for whatever reason. I think it's because we're not neither of us are like good at create. I think Max is like a pretty good photographer, but neither of us are really good at graphic design or anything yeah. at all. And we don't really even know how to speak the language or like talk about it. Yeah. Also, like, you know, like, I think that for this album, the first conversations about just general aesthetic was like, how do we somehow relate the idea of the album being a little more synthetic immediately, um, even with the album cover kind of like taking like a, that's like a piece of 3D art that's like created within a computer program, obviously. So it's like, you know, everything being kind of like touched by this computer digital function within the process, I think was something that like, since it was so new and exciting to us, we just wanted to lean into it and kind of present it that way. Even after we like confirmed the album cover, it kind of wasn't until we like actually like released Real Love and started putting the music out. It took that for me to be like, damn, I actually love this album cover. I think we were pretty like, yeah, we were like pretty deep into our heads even after choosing it. I mean, obviously the video for Real Love is very much in the sort of the same universe as the album art. I wonder why you went for Real Love as the opening single, because in, in terms of it, I mean, it's a pretty clear signal of a change of direction, right? Big time. That was really everybody on like the Whitney team, down to like the producers, like everyone who played on the record. Everyone was just like, this one has to be the first single. I love it when like songs give people just any sort of like, intense reaction and it seemed like intense reactions were had when that song was dropped which it was really intense because it's like obviously we feel so close to the record and i think like the the whitney purists that like are used to a certain guitar tone and a certain vocal were freaked out but i don't know i think that's a good thing i thought it was interesting seeing that actually that how that's changed over the last few weeks as well though i think almost like there's been a sort of universal thing of like a lot of people who were freaked out by it have been like, oh, this song's really grown on me. And I think also releasing those two singles earlier this week has been like, now people get the context of it a little bit more, but it's a shock, right? Something that I think we've talked about too is like in the making of this album is like, we were pushing ourselves to certain like extremes a bit. And I feel like Real Love is like the most extreme version of what it represents aesthetically on the album. Like as far as like maybe not mainstream pop, but like the the easiest way to describe it is just like the poppiest version of Whitney that we've explored is real love. Whereas like on the other side of experimentation on the album, there's like songs like Self or like even like Twirl, where you know the songs sound like a little more disintegrated or like wider and expansive in a way that we've never explored before. So I think each extreme is represented on the album. And when people heard that, 
I think I'm excited to see what they think about songs like Twirl and Self on the record that explore the complete opposite direction. And there's some songs on the record that kind of talk to more of like where we started the band, like Heart Will Be and Blue kind of is within that zone of just kind of like what Whitney is known more for or something. County Lines. County Lines. I don't know if it was just because it was it was earlier in the year and it was cold outside and it was raining, but I was like, I really read this album as a particularly difficult one to write. And there is a lot of really heavy subject matter. And you guys have dealt with this before. Like you, you were dealing with grief on Light Up on the Lake and definitely Forever Turned Around was an album about, you know, in a lot of ways, just like not being able to hold shit together while you were on the road, right? Like relationships, both romantic and otherwise falling apart. And, Spark seems like while you're blowing up the sound, everything else is blown up at the same time between like personal relationships and fucking forest fires and just obviously a pandemic. My first question is what was it difficult to write from that perspective? On the heels of like forever turned around, it wasn't nearly as difficult to write, I don't think, but it was like, it was just the type of thing where it was like we felt pretty lucky the entire time. And especially like through the pandemic, because it was like, man, this like, a lot of this material is coming out like f- pretty fully formed, like lyrically and everything. And we we had just been through a process where it, it was like really, really hard to dig deep and, and pull forever turned around out of us. So, yeah, I think it was it just felt really special because it was like, man, it like doesn't always come out so easily as it did on Spark. And that's not to say, I mean, we still definitely were like banging our heads against the walls on a couple of different songs. Heart Will Beat felt like a little tough to write. I remember we had like three, we went through like three different chorus ideas to finally nail it. I just remember feeling lucky and feeling really like, wow, like if if these songs and if if Whitney LP3 wasn't going so well, like I truly don't know like how we would have made it through the pandemic. Is it a challenge expressing some of the really like quite weighty stuff here about breakups and grief through the prism of, of quite bold pop music? I think it felt easier just simply because we felt more excited, but like there was a couple different, like finishing the chorus of uh, Lost Control was really funny. Cause it was like, oh, like these words, they feel right and they're sitting perfect in the chorus. But we were like, what the fuck is this though? <laughs> like we were like, we were like, why does this sound like Backstreet Boys <laughs> kind of? And, and why do we love it? And why, you know, like kind of like 
there was a bit of like inward thinking there where it was like, this is a crazy direction that feels really, really good to us. And it was fun to feel that feeling after writing Forever Turned Around because it was almost like we know exactly what this music is because we've kind of done it before. There's also like, you know, going back to like the watching YouTube videos and like, a you know, like there's a certain sense of like playfulness there and getting to be like a little more playful with like kind of the direction that or like the aesthetic or the influences that we were like allowing into the, the creation of the album was really refreshing. You know, it was just kind of like nothing is off limits. And like literally during this time of isolation and quiet, like what makes us the most happy in a way before lyrics are you know, like a lot of times we come with like the chords and energy of like lyrics are usually the last thing done. So a lot of times when the music was being made and maybe there was like a rough vocal melody with like, you know, scratch lyrics or something like that, it was pretty much just like what makes us like the happiest during this time. And then after that's created, going back and finding a way to express what we're actually kind of going through with that as the lens. So yeah, I think embracing a playfulness allowed us to have a lot more fun making it. As much as it is especially lyrically an expression of what you're going through, it's also kind of, it's your own antidote to your own, like the, or the potential for how bad things could have gotten in the midst of all that. Maybe a good example of it was, would be back then. Real life was first songs I think that you've ever just really done like a four on the floor kick with like you know it really feels like a little more not fully house but like we're like touching something that exists more in the dance world and bringing that into the fold I talked to a couple people um, over the pandemic and they're like now that like live shows and like specifically like dance clubs are gone like the only way we can kind of like create like have that energy is to try to make it ourselves in like a studio and enjoy that as something new and like energizing that must make it particularly exciting to play live you played a show like a year ago where you played a bunch of these live right oh yeah we did but that was kind of like a. it was like a lot of backing track stuff it was like half show half listening party yeah all we've only done like real love on kimmel so far i'm really i think back then it's gonna be it's gonna hit live yeah pretty well this might be hard to talk about, but I know that you guys lost people close to you as well. And like, especially JR from, from Girls, who was like really important to you. Again, I know you've written about grief in the past quite eloquently, and you've always been able to sort of couch it in melody to sort of make it, I don't know if palatable is the right word, but to express yourself in a way that like the listener can absorb. I don't want to sort of make people sort of relive the, the depths of the pandemic, but the two of you sort of isolated in Portland a little bit and writing through these tracks trying to express something like that through a pop song. Had you ever had to do something like that before? Was that, and was it something that felt natural to you that you would want to write about it? Are you, are you that sort of songwriter now where, where it's just like, yeah, it's what I'm feeling. And I'm, I'm just like, that's the only way I can do this is, is to write about it. I have to get it out. Yeah. I mean, I think with like Terminal and Self, it was kind of like, I mean, we were probably like nine, 10 months into the pandemic or something. And probably had like eight or nine songs as well. 
And it was just kind of more like with both of those songs lyrically, I think it was just like, we can't avoid kind of touching on like all the death and all of the isolation. We can't really fully avoid it. And we like have to, and it was more so just kind of like waiting patiently until, until the moment arose to actually where it felt like, okay, this, like we can kind of hit, hit our flow over these songs and like try to write about it in a way that we're proud of. And I think with Terminal especially, that was like a really, it was just a really gnarly time. It just felt like a rock bottom sort of situation. <laughs> and like with JR passing and other people passing. And I think also maybe kind of like losing our handle on like substances and just kind of really like feeling sort of like a new low. But I think we were able to like actually create like a new high through it as well. I think that kind of goes along with like the just feeling lucky that music was like able to pull us through the pandemic. Which is funny because to some extent, it's kind of just serendipitous that you guys end up living together. I mean, there is a world in which you don't end up living together through the pandemic, right? There could absolutely have happened. Like Max, you might just not have joined Julian in Portland. I landed in Portland March 14th of 2020. We were supposed to go to like an NBA. We were supposed to see Portland play Memphis, Memphis. and they canceled like that night. And on the way there, they like canceled the NBA shut down. So I was within like five days of just not being able to leave Chicago, probably because I think shortly after flights stopped happening and everything became much more confirmed as far as like what the world was about to go through. And even just being in, I mean, there's totally a world where. Max and I were like living separately in Chicago with our like former partners. But even just like being in Chicago, there's that there's no way that we would have been able to make the same record. I do think it was so important for us to have our own space and have an entire home and neighbors who were tolerant of us like blasting music until five in the morning. Is this a hopeful album, do you think? It's hard to like really like I'd have to like think about the with the lyrics but i think from a spiritual sense yes i think for our like creative spirituality and what it represents to us from the standpoint of exploration and experimentation yeah it's like maybe our most hopeful where i think every time we started a new song it felt like something that we had never you know in the in the most like isolated way something that we had never heard before more so in practical way just like something that we had never heard come from ourselves before and therefore like having some of our best work to date yet being the one that we constantly were able to surprise ourselves with new sounds and new like even like the chord changes like a lot of it is just like completely different than anything we've worked on before i think it you know instilled a lot of hope within us about making music how's that playing out now with writing i know that you're like on to writing new stuff already are you still chasing the high a little bit and like trying to make sure that you still shock yourselves a little yeah i don't want to like jinx anything but the last couple times that we've like sat down to write it just felt even deeper and like even more tangible to like sit down and write a song that we're going to want to listen to forever which again just like feels lucky and it feels like we unlocked a different level of like creative communication within me and him then it's like when you start releasing something and now it's like doing press and stuff, something inside of you does kind of, I feel like it's like, all right, it's it's promo time. <laughs> and like, we don't necessarily need to like spread ourselves too thin and like stay up until five in the morning writing still. So it's like, it's a lot more casual, the writing that's going on. Yeah. Because that staying up till five in the morning thing, I mean, 
there did seem like an intensity to the creative process here. You also, you, you mentioned like losing yourself to substances a little bit. It sounds like there was a good and a bad side to that as, as well, right? Because like some of that, it does impact the creative process, sometimes in positive ways. And, and then sometimes you have to pull back. Were there two sides to that coin? Yeah, I mean, I, it definitely like you get like a little burnt out. Like when you're, I think we like also have like a little bit of like addictive personalities in the sense that when we're working on a song, like we forget to like eat dinner and just like before we know it, it's like four in the morning. You know, it's like one of those things that like time seems to just like disappear into the process. Definitely like, you know, there were times where like we, I think mentally we were a little like burnt out on just like that kind of lifestyle, but it's not like we were too, it's not like we were like, we need to finish the idea tonight. So we're going to stay up and finish it. It was more of just like being completely lost in the project and being like, oh my God, it's now it's five and we've been up all night and we're probably going to accidentally do this tomorrow too. <laughs> the, back, the back end of that, you know, like, and, yeah. and when there's no balance to your life and which everybody yeah. lost, it's like, Oh my God, like being hung over during the pandemic just became like, Oh shit. Like, but the worst times are like, if, if we got drunk or something or had a late night and didn't get anything done or like, didn't even try to work. Cause then you'd wake up and just be like, what was the point of that? like just making time pass, which I think a lot of people needed to find a way to do. But yeah, those, I mean, those were the lowest points of the pandemic, I would say. When did you think you were done? Because obviously you've now like moved. I know that you recorded elsewhere as well. There was like a very finite point at which this ended. When was it? When did you stop tweaking? When did you even like stop the writing process and say like, we're, we're doing this now? Well, Real Love was the last one that we wrote. So it was like June of 2021. There's like three songs that didn't make the record too that are like great to us they just didn't necessarily have a place in the whole body but like as far i mean we we go like so deep we always like take it to the very last day of the deadline really when like mixing and mastering and it's pretty obsessive yeah. which i don't and it's gotten more obsessive um we were like we were still kind of like remote mixing while we were on that like smaller tour in the fall where we were kind of like we were showing people the new music before it was done after that tour we went and like finished the mixing in person with jake portrait in new york and that was like the final push so it was like november of last year maybe just and then went to mastering and then you're going out on tour when october we like essentially start we have to do like a spotify session thing in new york at like electric lady it's go time yeah kind of. we're pretty excited and a lot of it because of the process of the writing we get to kind of figure out how to represent these songs live with like a six-piece band for the first time and that just is like really fun work to do of just like delegating parts and figuring out how to you know do these songs justice in a live setting with our band are you like done with that process or are you still working on it we're just getting started honestly we need to figure out our rehearsal schedule like yeah so like kimmel Playing real on Kill was the first, like, we set it, figured out how to do that song. I think applying a similar lens to the rest, you know, like getting over the first song of reimagining or like just being, pulling it off, pulling off the song, songs correctly live was like real. It was the first hurdle. And I think we got ourselves in a good place with that. And now we're just kind of trying to find some time to get all get together and do the rest. That was Whitney talking to the Fader. Whitney's new album, Spark is out September 16 via Secretly Canadian. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. 
The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfen. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. Download it from the App Store now. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.